so life's a bitch. Hi, I'm Tay, and you are listening to So Life's a Bitch, the no-filter podcast where I attempt to break the taboo against raw, sensitive, and painful topics through both honest storytelling and exciting guest interviews. And with any luck, I'll make you laugh along the way. Please always check the podcast description for relevant trigger warnings. So life's a bitch. I'm feeling, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm feeling, I'm feeling a bit weird if I'm honest and I may as well just be completely transparent about it because I'm transparent about everything else but I'm in this strange kind of limbo where I'm so busy at the minute and I'm loving it, I'm doing uni stuff, I'm doing my masters in journalism, so exciting, so much work but you know, when it's something that you're passionate about and you enjoy, it's the easiest kind of schoolwork I've ever done. And I felt quite similar about some of my undergrad stuff as well. I did my undergrad in criminology and sociology. Now the sociology was always the hardest, but I got the highest marks, if that makes sense. So I enjoyed the criminology aspect more, but I always ended up just doing better in the sociology. I just get, I guess my writing style and stuff just suited it more because my undergrad was full coursework, hence why. I have a degree because I don't do exams. You know, I, I failed my theory seven times. Just the whole fucking <laughs> pressures of an exam. I just crumble, man. It's awful. Anyway. But yeah, so I'm super busy. I'm enjoying it. But I also really want to crack on with the podcast. I want to be constantly recording. I want to be constantly planning episodes. Because once I started this, it was like I found my calling. I absolutely love it. I also want to have a life. I want to see my friends. I want to spend time with family. I want to be able to attend everything. I want to do everything. I do a little cafe shift every other Saturday. I do a little bit of copywriting work. But yeah, I want to do it all. I want to do it all. And I've managed to like completely overwhelm myself. But this is all in my own head that, you know, there's not a single person in my life who would ever put pressure on me to do anything or go anywhere. No, no, it's all me. It's all my head, which is really fucking irritating. That realisation that these emotions that you're feeling, it's all in your own control. But yet, that's the fucked up thing about mental health, isn't it? You know that you are the only person causing this. You know you're the only person who can stop these paranoid thoughts, this anxiety. But yet, it's not the easiest thing to do. I don't know, it's weird. Sometimes I feel like I want to just bury my head in the sand and just work just do my uni stuff, do my podcast stuff, do my copyright and that is it. Like not speak to anyone, not fucking shower, not fucking eat, nothing. Just work and ignore everything. Now obviously that's not what I actually want to do. (laughs) I've got no feelings of, you know, want when it comes to that. That's what my head is telling me I should do and it makes it so much harder to be able to enjoy going and doing stuff as well. And then when I do go, and I always, this is the one thing I always say to myself and I say to people, you know, kind of anxious to go, but love every second when I'm there. Because I only surround myself with awesome people. I'm not going to lie. The people I have in my life, from my closest friends, like family friends, to work friends or acquaintances, I have finally gotten to a place where it is positive vibes only. So no matter what I do, I'm going to have the best time ever. But then why do I feel guilty afterwards as well? Like, oh, God forbid I've spent an evening with my with my friend. And then I wake up the next day and it's like, you should have been working. I hate it. It's really starting to wind me up. I also, and this is going to make 
anyone who knows me well, this is going to make them roll their eyes because they know exactly, exactly what I mean when I say this next thing. Drinking blues. Oh, what is it with my mind punishing me for having a good time and drinking? If I have gotten even the slightest bit drunk, you know, you kind of like surpass tipsy and drunk, even if I remember the whole night and I know that I was just drunk and being probably loud and silly, but everyone else was, everyone's having a good time. Why do I wake up the next morning and my brain goes, you've upset someone, you've hurt someone's feelings. I know I haven't, (laughs) especially when most of the time the people that I'm out with are the the closest people to me. And even if I was a drunken mess, they would just laugh it off. Very annoying. I've done it for a long, long time now. It's been a while actually. It's been a while since I've felt that way because I've gotten quite a much thicker skin these past couple of years about everything become a lot less sensitive just really worked on some of my own anxiety issues but obviously I mentioned in I think the second episode that a couple of weeks ago I was taken off my pill and that seems to have had a massive massive effect on me I don't know if it's like the hormone imbalance because it was like a high hormone kind of form of contraception But when the doctor said, oh, you should just bin it for for a while, you know, sort your health out and sort my health out. I'm not dying. I'm just chubby. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll just cold turkey it then because what's the point? You know, and obviously she reminded me, yeah, you're not getting laid either. So why are you on it? And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm fat and sexless. Amazing. (laughs) But no, it's really like wobbled me. Things that usually I would not be stressed about or worried about have started to stress me out a little bit. My anxiety, my paranoia, I'm not, my sleeping's a bit off. Yeah, I'm starting to overthink some scenarios and, well, I say overthink scenarios, the scenarios were probably created by me in the first place. It's exhausting, it's really exhausting, especially when I'm in such an exciting part of my life where I'm just so, I'm just so fucking happy and blessed and I'm enjoying every second of all the things that I'm doing and I'm only putting my efforts into stuff that are truly going to benefit me. It's just a pain in the fucking dick that my paranoia sometimes has to just pop up and be like, oh hi, I'm here to ruin your day for absolutely no reason. Yeah, annoying, but I woke up today and feeling a bit better, feeling more motivated, was feeling really ready to record and kind of jump it's a it's a ranty one today it's a fucking rant so these are the best moods to do those in I think you know if I was feeling 100% and feeling really like punch the sky amazing perhaps that there wouldn't be as much passion going into such a difficult topic that is the one that I'm going to be speaking about today and it's crazy give it a few days and I'll look back and I'll think about the and this happens to me every couple of months maybe I'll spend two three days in quite a bad way where the anxiety completely takes over and I just feel really sad and paranoid and then I look back and I go why did you do that to yourself why did you waste those days life is precious live each day like it's your last you never know what day will be but it doesn't matter it's it's all good and well isn't it looking back and going I really wish I hadn't stressed over the fact that I thought maybe someone may have rolled their eyes you know that's just an example of how silly you know little things can trigger like this massive spiral of paranoid anxiety but yeah it's really really annoying but I feel better for airing it I've become and I have been this way for a while now if I don't say something out loud then it will eat me alive hence why this podcast (laughs) is probably gonna low-key save my ass it's just I know I'm not the only one and if you're listening 
now and you're thinking you know so I still can't get my head around the fact that people actually listen <laughs> I feel like it's just me having a little chit chat with myself <laughs> if, if you're listening now and you're thinking I do that I get paranoid I'm a yeah you're not alone it is the craziest fucking thing and I'm so happy that we're finally speaking about it with such volume and people are starting to recognize mental health in ways that they never have before you know imagine being of the generations of say perhaps my grandparents and having this kind of paranoid anxiety but not being able to explain it or voice it or medicate it or treat it or understand it that must have been such a lonely time but yeah i'm definitely feeling a lot better just god every fucking now and then the hormone yeah the hormones didn't help well or lack of not really sure but that definitely I i felt like a massive kind of hit of something coming off that pill it was like my body was like hang on a damn fucking minute something's going down and i feel like when you are prone to overthinking or paranoid thoughts or that kind of thing I do believe that any kind of big changes to your body or your life, there's a chance that it's going to trigger that, even though, you know, 99% of the time I'm absolutely fine. Or I'm quite the opposite. I don't really give a fuck. It's so weird. Someone could probably call me names and I'd be like, yeah, I don't fucking care. But if someone was to like not even say anything to me, and it's always the shit that I make up. It's always the stuff that I decide, oh, have I upset someone? Have I done this? It's like the unknown. And the main thing you need to tell yourself is if you'd upset someone, you'd fucking know about it. So enough. Ridiculous. Anyway, I thought I should share that with you since as I share everything else. I'm young and it's great that I'm really busy and I'm doing stuff, but I can't make myself feel guilty for enjoying myself. I don't go out every day. I don't party every weekend. You know, I'm talking about a lunch here or go have a couple of pints there or a birthday party here. It's not fucking to the point of the way I'm punishing myself at the moment. I'm feeling guilty. It's ridiculous. Like, girl, chill. And yeah, I just want to, I want to have it all. I do. And why not? I want to enjoy myself. I'm young. I'm single. I want to date. Don't ask me how that's going. No, I'm joking. <laughs> like, I'm, I just want to enjoy being 21. I mean, it's difficult to do because I'm 24, but... <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. So life's a bitch. Okay, I have been so excited to talk to you guys about this. You have no fucking idea so obviously i've mentioned that i'm doing a degree in journalism at the moment so that entails a lot of gathering news and finding news and creating stories whether that be through multimedia or written and i've got loads different modules one of which is like reporting in action which basically means every wednesday we go in and we work in a newsroom from like nine till four and then we have to submit by four and it gives you that real feel for how a newsroom works obviously a lot of the other guys i think that's about i want to say there's like 17 of us but it's a great bunch most people in there i know for a fact myself included aren't actually interested in broadcast journalism but it doesn't really matter because all the skills that we're picking up are going to be so so useful going forward and you know whatever kind of career you want to head into 
all of these little tricks and tips and and I think as well the best thing about working in a newsroom is as a writer or a journalist you're going to be given deadlines you're going to be expected to work under pressure and fast and potentially in a quick paced environment so I've really enjoyed it but one of the requirements for our portfolio which is what we hand in at the end of the module to hopefully pass the portfolio is built up of loads of different stories and stuff and one of the stories needs to be either a council meeting or a courtroom story so i'm not sure if you guys are aware but court is actually open in the uk um, unless there's obviously specialist circumstances in which there'll be a closed court courtrooms in the uk are open to the public it's first come first serve there's usually like a journalist media box or you go and sit in the gallery but yeah court is open and I was so so excited to go to court because I literally I didn't I did an undergrad in criminology and still had never actually sat in court before which is mad I, I know I was supposed to go actually for my undergrad but well yeah I was just too drunk so I didn't but Obviously, I'm taking this one a lot more seriously. A couple of my girlfriends in class, they were like, hell yes, we're going to court. You're going to pick between court and a council meeting. I mean, we want the juice. We want the dirt. So, yeah, one of my girlfriends from class, she rang the court just to say, you know, we're students. When would be the best time to come? And they were like, well, you're going to want to come in. You're going to want to check the different courtrooms um, what's on and you're going to want to pick the juiciest you don't want to basically you don't want to end up in like finance court because we were at the crown court so obviously you have your magistrates which is for much lesser crime um, and then you have your crown court which is for higher crime where you could have a jury as well god i would fucking love to be a juror oh it would be it would be awful but it would be amazing yeah yeah maybe i need to i need to do something about that so life's a bitch so we get to court about 8.30 and I am carrying a fucking suitcase. It's ridiculous. I don't know why I was carrying a suitcase. Well, I do. I was carrying a suitcase because I decided I was going to stay over in a hotel because I had school early the next day and it's just a lot of travel. I don't drive at the moment. I live in the arse end of nowhere. So to get to school and stuff, there's no train station in the town that I live in. Yeah, I mean, there's like five pound lands, but no train station. It's great. <laughs> so yeah it's a right pain in the ass so I was like you know what screw it it would cost me less to stay over than it would for all the travel so I'll stay we woke up at the courtroom and he's like um is there somewhere that you can put that me forgetting that we're in a fucking court of law I need to walk through metal detectors I need to be searched and I've got this black suitcase that I'm dragging along. I've also got the big scarf on a bit. Honestly, it was unbelievable. I just literally undressed, opened up my case. And it's so weird, like I packed that bag myself. I packed the bag the night before. Therefore, I knew exactly what was in that bag. So why, oh why, <laughs> when he was going through it, did I think he's gonna find drugs? He's gonna find a gun, he's gonna find a knife. Well, obviously fucking not, because you packed it last night and it's just a load of scaggy joggers. I get the same kind of anxiety at the airport though, to be fair. I'm like, it's gonna find crack. I don't even know what crack is. <laughs> don't even know which one of the drugs it is. <laughs> well, he's gonna find it. He's gonna find it. Anyway, so we got in. The one thing that we found mm, a bit curious was when we were walking into the courts, so it was 
8.30 at this point. There were fucking paps everywhere. Obviously outside in the UK, you cannot take photos, pictures inside the courtroom at all, videos, photos, have your phone out, nothing. It is, you would be in contempt of court and yeah, that's a big no-no in the UK. Obviously in America, it's all televised, but yeah, that's America, big differences. So there was loads of paps, so we were thinking, hmm, there is something, something is happening. So we walk in and none of us have been there before. We notice there's this board and it has all the different court times and the people. Yeah, you're not gonna fucking believe this. On the day that we just decided to go to court to find a little story, a little summon summon to take back to the newsroom, that day, was the pre-trial hearing for Man City player Benjamin Mendy and his co-defendant Louis Saha Maturi. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh my goodness. I really thought we were gonna get stuck in like fucking traffic court, you know? Well, that would probably be magistrates, but we oh we knew that we knew at that moment we've hit the jackpot. I then have to try and keep myself quite calm and collected. But this wasn't until 11, right? So we were like, okay, well, it's half eight. We're going to go into the court when a court starts at 10. And we're just going to sit there. And when they adjourn, we're going to just stay there in the gallery. And then we can watch them bring, like, Mendy and Maturi in. I'm not sure if I'm saying that surname right. We were like, we'd be fighting to get in there because it is first come, first serve. And this is a high-profile case. It also explains the high amount of paparazzi outside yes we did get papped yes i do think it was a mistake <laughs> walking up and someone just like and we were like what the fuck yeah it was mad it was madness but me me a chronology graduate and a writer i was so excited and apprehensive and all of the emotions so we were in a courtroom and it basically said what was going to be on that day and we were like, okay, so we're just gonna sit through it. So we sat through, we did, there was, there was half an hour, then there was like 15 minutes. And then they were like, we've got a closed court hearing now, you need to leave. We were like, fuck, fuck's sake. So we leave. That hearing took about 15 minutes and then they opened the courtroom and we ran. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. We ran through a court uh, and imagine this, I'm dragging a suitcase. I'm holding a scarf, I'm dragging a suitcase, I've got another bag. It wasn't pretty, but I was willing to fight my way in there. So we ran and we got in there and we sat down and we're fucking looking smug, we look smug. Another like 10 minutes passes, it's getting to about 10 to 11 now, so we were ready, we were ready for it. Then they were like, right, kind of adjourned the court and they all kind of started to leave and the judge left. And then someone behind us went, sorry, is the, um, the Mendy hearing gonna be still at 11? And they went, yeah, 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 it's just in the other courtroom now. And we were like, oh my God. So they moved it. <laughs> so we had to leave and then sit and wait again until they called it. And then they called it and they'd already seated Mendy, but not Saha. By the way, Louis Saha Maturi, not to be confused with ex-Man United player Louis Saha. That is a mistake that I made because obviously you're thinking about football because we've got a current Man City player. Um, they have almost the exact same name. So straight away I was like, 
Louis fucking Saha. I was like, oh my god. But no, 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 no. He is a friend of Benjamin Mendy, and they are co-defendants at the moment. But no, it is not Louis Saha, the ex-Man U player. So yeah, we made it. We we got in. It was the courtroom was it was incredible and petrifying. It was one of the most incredible rooms I'd ever been in in my life. But also we felt and the other girls said this to me at the same time it felt wrong being in there it felt wrong you know you just sat there thinking what the fuck am i doing this is like something off of a crazy tv show is how it felt obviously everything that you hear it's like this is real this is real yeah i can see them it was yeah wow it was really fucking crazy so i'll do a little summary for you mendy has been charged with seven counts of rape one count of sexual assault And as of that hearing, we are now allowed to report one account of attempted rape also. So that brings the total charges at the moment to nine, nine at present. Saha Maturi faces 10 charges altogether. Seven of those are counts of rape and three counts of sexual assault. How the fuck did Mendy get bail? He was released for questioning. And whilst he was on release, he fucking raped someone, okay? Then he's taken into custody. Then he's moved to a maximum security prison because he's obviously not being treated very well by fellow prisoners. I wonder why. And then he was released on bail in January. He's quite clearly a danger to society. I mean, obviously he's on like house arrest is not, not the exact words used, but if he had been remanded in custody after his questioning, then there would be one less rape survivor, you know? Surely. I don't know. Obviously, again, this is this is my opinion, but... I mean, if we're going to talk about bail and shit, I may as well talk about fucking Mason Greenwood. His survivor, his ex-girlfriend, who I will not be naming because even though... She did come forward and we do know who she is. It is still illegal to name any survivor of sexual assault. So we'll bear that in mind. She was able to record what happened. She's got photos um, and video, I think video footage, but definitely photos of bruising and bleeding and really graphic stuff that he has done. She has an audio recording Please don't go looking for it unless you feel strongly that you could handle it because I'm quite thick-skinned and it tr- it was a trigger for me. He was angry. He was so angry with her and she was she sounds scared and she also sounds fed up in a way as if here we go again is the vibe that I got. And for you to be able to capture something on audio means that in my opinion it's recurring you know it's gonna happen, and that's how you know to have your audio recording switched on. But all I can say is, imagine the fucking backlash if she didn't. Most survivors aren't able to get evidence like that. Do you know how dangerous it is to try and record or video your abuser? Shouldn't her word be enough? Clearly not. Innocent until proven guilty, yeah, I agree. I agree, but when it comes to video recordings and photos, I think we can agree that those graphic images and recordings have provided just that. It's guilt, isn't it? Again, legally speaking, that, that's only my opinion because everyone has the right to a trial. Everyone has the right to a fair trial. 
is this a fair trial? Is it going to be a fair trial? No. No, it's going to be really, really difficult for him because the images and the audio has been leaked to the public. So technically speaking, there's no way that Mason Greenwood will have a fair trial. I'm sure the system will do everything in their power. If it goes to trial, which I'm sure it will, everyone has the right to a fair trial. And I know there's been talk of some of the Man U players, actually. And again, they don't know if how much of this is true, but a lot of them kind of saying, hang on, he's, he's not at his trial yet. You know, he's, he's technically still innocent. So shouldn't we be treating him that way? Um, it's a controversial one. It's a controversial one. The evidence is there and as difficult as it is again it's it's such a hard one because no evidence should never be publicly posted pre-trial because it is you'll never see it in the newspapers because it's contempt of court you'll never see it published by any professional sources but social media is powerful <laughs> but in the same breath you know that woman's bravery is hopefully gonna help others come forward but the backlash against her has been harrowing to watch. Even her family seemed to be like undermining her bravery. It's really strange. Her father did um, an interview with, I think it was the mail, I'm not sure. Straight away he goes, she was hacked. Her phone was hacked. Hmm, okay. Well, if the truth is she came out to the world as a brave young woman telling a story, let's not undermine the strength that it takes to do that. And let's not lie and say that she was hacked because the way in which the post was put across, if I don't believe a hacker would, I don't know. Again, this is speculation. This is my opinion. But as well, he said, they were in love. Your daughter has been beaten and sexually assaulted and by the sounds of the extremely disturbing audio, raped. They were in love. Is trying i'm trying to find the relevance i'll tell you what if it was my father well they wouldn't be able to post it put it that way she was hacked they were in love how about she is strong she is powerful she has finally regained some control ridiculous social media's cancel culture is a scary and powerful phenomenon but perversely in my opinion it's always there but it's absent when it's actually deemed necessary we will cancel any fucker over anything, but God forbid a young woman speaks out against her rapist. Unbelievable. Girl, we hear you. Thank you. So life's a bitch. Women don't need another reason to be scared to speak out and come forward, seriously. And as for these piece of shit fucking rapists, I think I speak for many when I say, just because you've got a bit of money in the bank and have spotted your mug on the TV does not give you or anyone else the right to live above the law and overpower the women in or around your lives. You entitled fucking assholes. May karma have her way with you all. So life's a bitch. Whilst we are on this hideous topic of violence against women and girls, I may as well just keep the rant going. Sarah Everard, sweet baby girl. She was abducted, raped, murdered, and in the words of her poor mother, disposed of as if she was rubbish. Sarah, you are not rubbish. You were worthy of life. It's so disturbing to me that this was carried out by an officer of the law 
that we are literally trained to trust and taught to depend on like for our aid and safety from I, I can't remember a time where I wasn't told to to a policeman a police you know ugh, it's awful it's awful for both the policemen out there who are trying to do good and trying to break the stigma and try and fulfill the duty that a policeman should fulfill I also feel sorry for women like Sarah because maybe she did put a trust in him that night I don't know in the 28 weeks following Sarah's murder at least 81 women were murdered when the main suspect was a man and that was so that was 28 weeks after Sarah Everard's murder so that would have been October maybe so who knows what that statistic is right now I'm not I'm not 100% sure at least 81 women were murdered by men following the murder of Sarah Everard which begs the question how much did we actually learn from that not enough apparently so life's a bitch Sabina Nessa she was someone she was walking to the pub it was like five minutes away from her house she was just going to the pub to have a catch up with a friend as we all do and we literally all do that <laughs> she was just going for a fucking pint at 8 30. women need to be careful going out when it's dark no fuck you stop murdering us women should probably avoid going out for walks unaccompanied no fuck you stop raping us she was someone's daughter she was someone's teacher she was someone's friend no fuck you she was someone and she didn't deserve to die so life's a bitch this has reminded me actually this is something that boils my blood just the sheer disrespect of it now this isn't something that I usually do stay like UK based but this this didn't happen in the UK this happened um, in America and just made headline worldwide I mean rightly so but how did it make headlines I hear you ask well I'll fucking tell you on December 12th a 23 year old woman of color called Lauren Smith Fields was found dead following a bumble date so Bumble is an online dating app. It's like Tinder and Hinge, just one of the the popular kind of online dating where, you know, you see a profile, you swipe, you say, hey, do you want to go for a date? That kind of thing. So she went on a Bumble date with a 37-year-old white male and was found dead the next morning. Lauren's family were not informed of her death by the police. They did not tell them. I'm not sure who did. I did try to look into that. I'm not sure who did. But the police didn't contact her family. And it then took over a month to open an investigation, which, of course, inevitably revealed that she'd been drugged. Over a month. No, not to solve it, not to close it, to open it. The way in which this was reported was one of the most vile and disrespectful examples of systemic internalised racism that I have seen in a long while. Bumble date found dead in her apartment. Lauren Smith Fields, say her fucking name. For fuck's sake. Bumble date. No, no. They were both on a date. They both used the app. She is a victim. She is dead. Use her name. It goes on, you know. They used photos 
This one really gets me. They've used photos of her in a bikini. She is dead. And they used a photo, they called her a bumble date. And they used a photo of her on holiday in a bikini next to a photo of him on a hike. What the fuck? What, what are we trying to say here? She's promiscuous? She's what? She's the bumble day. Oh, look at her with her boobs out. Oh, but, you know, he's a white male and he hikes and he lives a great life and he's a family man. Is that what you're trying to say? If so, why? Very strange. Very strange. Say her name. Fucking bumble date. And also, fucking use a nice photo of her if you're going to use a photo. I know the press do this all the time. I know, I know. But fucking hell. But yeah, we just, there's a lot of shit that needs to be done. We need to sort ourselves out. We need to be allies. We need to, fuck men will be men. No, how about everyone just be nice? How about everyone collectively decides to not rape and murder? And we all just get on. Get on with life, I don't know. So life's a bitch. It's been a super ranty one, so I apologise for that. But yeah, that it's not possible to discuss such matters, for me anyway, through anything but anger. Because that's how I feel, and that's how I'll continue to feel until we do better. And I think we can, and I think we will. But yes, I have, of course, been asking you guys to contact me with stories or questions or anything of the sort. I would love to hear from you honestly it would mean the absolute world to me so if you have got any questions or stories or something you'd like to share you will always be kept anonymous unless specified otherwise email me at so life's a bpod at gmail.com or send us a dm at so life's a bpod everything and anything would be awesome i do have something that i'm super excited to share this wonderful wonderful woman she reached out to me after i think my first episode maybe my second she told me a little bit about her about her story and i was like oh my gosh amazing i would love to share your story through my podcast can you send me the full version and i'm she was like yes of course so she sent over the full version and i haven't actually read it because i really wanted to read it for the first time on here so here we go hey I've just listened to your podcast and I'm so happy that you are raising awareness around miscarriage. I'm not sure why I wanted to write this, but I guess I wanted to contribute something with telling my story. I found out I was pregnant back in October and I was super ill with crippling nausea. My doctor prescribed me medication to try and relieve the symptoms and after several attempts, we finally found some anti-sickness meds that worked, or so I thought. At my midwife booking appointment, I did raise a concern that my sickness had suddenly stopped at around the eight week mark when I had read that morning sickness should be at its peak. But I was very quickly brushed off by my midwife and told if there is no bleeding or cramping, you're fine. At this point, as I had been so casually reassured, if that is even a fucking thing, I went to see my family members and gave them their announcement presents. My partner bought me some pregnancy presents, bump journal, much awaited pregnancy dungarees, etc. And we maybe stupidly cracked on with planning the next 12 months of our life with pregnancy and a newborn. Anyway, I guess the reason I'm messaging is because what happened next led to a really angry phase of my life. 
We went to our first scan on December 10th, only to be told that we were definitely pregnant and to our shock with twins. But then the sonographer started questioning dates and whether I could have got them mixed up. Nope. There were also no heartbeats, but I was told that I would need to come back in about 10 days for a rescan to confirm. At this point, I just knew that we had lost our babies, but the standard protocol is that they can't offer any treatment until they are absolutely sure that the babies have not developed, and so I had to carry my dead babies around for 10 days to wait for the next scam. Or so I naively thought. Again. I miscarried the following day, pretty spectacularly at that. Following the worst pain I have ever experienced, I called the EPAU emergency number to be told to take paracetamol and just go to A&E if I needed to due to excessive bleeding. What the fuck even is excessive bleeding? Well, I hemorrhaged. I was soaking through two maternity pads in five minutes and in total, I know I lost 25% of my blood. Wow. I was taken into hospital by my ambulance and had a procedure to stop the bleeding, given some IV fluids, then sent on my way. Long story very short, I am now nearly six weeks post-miscarriage. I am being treated for extreme anemia, no surprise there. Have had two procedures to remove retained pregnancy tissue, one medical, one surgical, and I'm now waiting to take my post-miscarriage pregnancy test. Cross all your fingers and toes for me, please. Now... I didn't even know that silent missed miscarriages were a thing, and yet up to 5% of women suffer these. So why, when we know our own bodies so well, are we so easily dismissed by healthcare professionals when raising genuine concern? When I stopped experiencing the sickness was when my baby stopped developing, and by taking some bloods or booking a scan, that could have limited some of the damage mentally. I was so angry that I'd been dismissed, that I was given false hope by someone I should have been able to trust, that I was allowed to go and celebrate and get excited with family and friends, and even angrier that there is next to no awareness of this, despite four other people I know experiencing this within two months of myself. Finally, I'm angry that after being expected to carry my dead babies around for an excruciating 10 days, I was given no fucking warning of what might happen in that time frame and was merely given a phone number for emergencies of someone who had absolutely no desire to help or comfort me in my time of need. The fact that these people see this all the time does not take away from the fact that women have to experience this. If anything, they should be more sympathetic from seeing it all the time. And this, along with their protocols and communication, needs to change for everyone's sake. Miscarriage isn't going anywhere, but the stigma and taboo around it can. Anyway, I guess I wanted to tell you that I totally applaud you for having the strength to channel your energy and grief into this. And I feel that by knowing this is in your very capable hands, I can finally start to let go of my anger and finally start to grieve for the twins. You're amazing. <laughs> so life's a bitch. <clears throat> You're amazing. Wow. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. It honestly is so important to share our experiences and share our stories because, I mean, at the time, you honestly truly believed that you were the only person in the world and that you were just, that you were just alone and unlucky and in pain and grieving and confused and you really aren't, you know. I'm so very, very sorry for your loss and I'm so very sorry for the mistreatment. You deserve a lot more and of course you mentioned that you related to one of my situations when it came to the professionals not, I mean obviously this is only in regards to a few and you know everyone's personal experiences but I had someone on the phone, not a scanographer, not 
a midwife, for me personally, everyone was incredible and delicate and sensitive, other than the one lady who was my first pregnancy professional, if you like, the first person I can get hold of other than A&E and my family. Um, I I waited all night and then I finally was able to make the phone call. I probably rang for an hour leading up to when their office actually opened and my relief to just be able to speak to someone was so quickly shut down by her lack of interest is how I I felt like she just wanted to have her morning coffee and she just wanted me to go away she just got into the office that's how it felt she also heard my age and her tone changed she stopped talking to me like an adult and she started talking to me like a child made me feel really uneducated which I absolutely was I learned about miscarriage by having one hence why you know my need to spread awareness and be open and honest about my experiences is the way it is but there was no need to make me feel that way despite it being true and my darling who of course I will not be naming you are one of many people who have contacted me saying that they have experienced extremely similar mistreatment and disregard for their situation while going through miscarriage and it breaks my heart every single time because you are just so desperate for that it's gonna be okay well even though it isn't you know when you are so confused and concerned and scared it is scary i haven't gone into detail about the gore of it on here and i'm not sure if i will i'm not sure if i will but it is so fucking traumatic and gory and scary and painful and your body is doing things that it has never done before to try and pass what it needs to pass and deal with what it needs to deal with it is so scary it is so so scary so if you're reaching out to someone who knows exactly what is you know obviously everyone's different and every miscarriage is different but if you're reaching out and begging for a little bit of comfort i do believe that the person on the end of of that phone or sitting across to you in that doctor's office or whatever you know just a little bit of sympathy a little bit of love because it is actually quite upsetting the amount that i'm hearing of people with similar experiences and feeling completely dismissed but Thank you so, so much for your kind words. And um, I'm so, so pleased that you feel like you can now finally begin your journey through grief. It will be a bumpy one, but you're strong and you're powerful and you've got this. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I'd love to hear from everyone and anyone if you have a story about anything, any topic in which you may believe to be considered taboo when actually we should be talking about it, we should be bringing awareness, please, please, please message me solifesabepod at gmail.com or at solifesabepod. Absolutely love to tell your stories and just to continue to try and spread awareness and help as much as possible. So yeah, and we'll do that. We will do that. A little bit chilly. What day is it? Monday. Well, I hope everyone has a fabulous week. Uh, (laughs) But yes, as always, please share, tell your friends. I mean, maybe don't tell your grandparents because it's a bit not very PG, but... (laughs) spread the word maybe even leave a little review on apple that makes more difference than you could know and yeah i'm still on cloud nine i'm gonna keep saying it and i refuse to come back down you guys are the reason why so thank you and have a great week bye so life's a bit